In today's episode of Moving Medicine, AMA President Dr. Jack Resnick is joined by a panel of physician wellness experts to discuss addressing physician burnout. The panelists include Dr. Anjali Gallion, Dr. Nigel Gergra, and Dr. Christine Sinsky. Together, they talk about the symptoms and drivers of physician burnout and examine solutions to address the crisis. Here's Dr. Resnick. Now we're gonna gather ideas, recommendations, and proposed solutions related to burnout and mental health from our panel of physician leaders and medical experts. We'll talk about what wellness looks like in the healthcare space and what we must do to move closer to it. Joining us are three physician leaders with significant experience in recognizing and solving physician burnout at the individual and system levels. It's my pleasure to introduce Anjali Gallion, Dr. Gallion is a pediatric neurologist, physician wellness officer, and president-elect of the medical staff at Children's Hospital of Orange County in California. She has a passion for wellness initiatives with a focus on system-wide operational solutions. She's a noted researcher through the National Institute for Neurological Disorders and Stroke and a consistent advocate for policies that support health and wellness. Welcome, Dr. Gallion. Thanks for having me. We're also delighted to have Christine Sinsky, MD, with us today. Dr. Sinsky is a board-certified internist and the AMA's Vice President for Professional Satisfaction. She's the author of The Quadruple Aim, Joy in Practice, Texting While Doctoring, and Creating a Manageable Cockpit, contributions that continue to lead our national conversation on wholeness, wellness, and how physicians might achieve and maintain both. Welcome, Dr. Sinsky. Thanks, Jack. Glad to be here. Rounding out our panel is Nigel Geergra. And Dr. Geergra is Chief Wellness Officer and Medical Director of Liver Transplantation at Ochsner Health System in New Orleans. He's a recognized thought leader in workforce well-being with a degree in managing healthcare delivery from Harvard Business School. Ochsner Health System is the recipient of a $2.9 million grant to address workforce mental health and burnout. Welcome, Nigel. Great to be here, Jack, and joining you all. It's wonderful, wonderful to have all three of you with us today, and we've got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in with some questions, if that's okay. Angeli, let me, let me start with you. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of sleep and the impact of sleep deprivation based on your own research? Thanks, Jack. Um, our knowledge about sleep and really the impacts of sleep deprivation have really, really increased in the last 30 to 40 years. The main concept is that your brain is actually doing very important work during sleep. And they're not just a bunch of hours from which you can steal to kind of do other stuff. A nice study in JAMA a couple years ago looked at hundreds of physicians. And what they found was that one in three physicians screened were actually positive for a sleep disturbance. Even more interesting was that those who are positive for a sleep disturbance had higher rates of burnout and less professional fulfillment. Advances in sleep actually help us to understand the why. There's kind of two main concepts I wanted to bring up. And the first is the idea of connections. When you're awake, your brain is making all these connections. It gets stimulation, it's getting all this input, and the brain cells are actually connecting. In sleep, we have now understood that the brain is actually getting rid of the connections that you don't need and helping strengthen the one that you do. 
This makes sense. A lot of us remember in college, they said, don't pull the all-nighter. It's better to go to sleep and then wake up in the morning and study. We have better executive function, better cognitive performance when we've had good sleep. The second is the idea of how sleep is related to chronic health conditions. A lot of people know that things like sleep apnea is related to cardiovascular stress, but the brain actually has important physiology that happens in sleep, even without pathology. The brain actually activates an entire filtration system, the glymphatic system, during deep sleep. The glymphatic system filters out harmful things like beta amyloid, which gets deposited in high amounts for people who have things like Alzheimer's. Really, to me, this is about that broader concept of the toll of constantly being on call for the hospital, our patients, and those ever-present dings and pings and texts. Our brain isn't really getting the time to disconnect and do other work that it needs to do so we can perform optimally. We increasingly see athletes, high-performing people recognizing the importance of good sleep, and it's important that we take that same lens for our physicians not just for our health and wellness, and really to support our workforce, to put really to provide great, safe patient care. Angela, now I'm just worried about the damage that's already been done with my own sleep deprivation, but uh, really important points. Thank you. Thank you. I think as we design workflows of the future, this is, is really going to be important. Uh, Chris, I want to turn to you for a second. And you know, a lot of the early work in physician wellness was focused on individual resilience. And it always felt to me a bit like that was sort of blaming the victim. In a recent interview, you you said something like, it's important for us to realize that while burnout manifests in individuals, it originates in systems. Can you elaborate a little bit on these ideas and, and how you think they fit into the discussion? Sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, I think we know that anytime the majority of a group experiences something, then it has to be related to something other than individual weakness. And so we know now that 63% of physicians are currently experiencing some sign of burnout, and that can't possibly be related to uh, individual weakness on the part of physicians. And in fact, we know from a study we published in 2020 that physicians as a group have a significantly higher level of resilience than the general population we are a highly resilient profession. And so I think rather than focusing on fixing the worker, we need to focus on fixing the workplace. And just as Dr. Gallion was saying, some of this manifests in individuals in the sleep disturbance, which then can uh, contribute to burnout, but it's related to the system in which we are working, to all those pings, to all that call. And, and so, I think the work we need to do is to build better teamwork, better technology, better workflows, continue to work to reduce the administrative burden and that's all happening in the work environment rather than trying to fix the individual worker with yoga and mindfulness and meditation. As helpful as those things may be, that's not where we should start because it's the environment, the system that's broken, not the people within. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox.
That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Great points. Thanks. Nigel, I want to talk a little bit about the four-pronged approach to mental health that, that you've talked about. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to those four elements and what changes you've really observed based on successes with that approach? Sure, uh, Jack. I think an approach to mental health or, um, to that matter, any organizational imperative uh, should be based on data, uh, qualitative and quantitative data, uh, married with a little bit of intuition. So um, in our case at Oshner, our uh, quantitative data, um, we looked at surveys, both engagements and the AMA um, well-being index. We're able to measure burnout, uh, drivers of burnout, um, the state of mental health, um, both depression and PTSD, and also barriers or perceived barriers to seeking mental health support. Um, another data point was we were seeing actually in the first year of the pandemic, our EAP utilization going down, which was a little perplexing. Um, but I think, you know, qualitative data can be uh, more important. So by this, I mean the comments on the surveys. Um, what I was hearing when rounding on the hardest hit units uh, during the, the waves of the pandemic, uh, comments from focus groups and open forums and, um, you know, sort of distilling this down to a voice of the customer. Overall, you know, I was hearing that while an EAP program is great, folks wanted to, to get a little bit more upstream, uh, sort of proactive versus reactive, uh, a little bit more on demand. So very briefly, our four prongs are, um, first part would be just simply educating folks and raising awareness. Um, secondly, measuring mental health, as I, as I discussed earlier. Um, thirdly, uh, destigmatizing or normalizing the conversation uh, in a few ways, but mainly through changing leadership, behavioral norms, and communication norms. And then lastly, um, experimenting with different uh, support offerings and, and looking at things like utilization, net promoter score, uh, scores with those offerings, and scaling those things that seem to be working and sundowning those that aren't. And, and in terms of what I've observed, you know, compared to 2019, um, mental health and well-being uh, is just uh, much more part of our culture, our fabric. Um, we're seeing this, Jack, with our, you know, our executive communications, uh, how our department meetings are run, one-on-one um, -on -one check-ins. Uh, we even have a uh, mental health affinity group or resource group that would have been the case in 2019, and. Um, it just seems like people, both frontline clinicians and leaders, are reaching out for help more here at Oshner. Nigel, I'm glad you mentioned leadership because I think we've seen in a lot of the data and in our AMA work with health systems that that is just such an enormous predictor of, of levels of burnout, the true level of engagement of, of leadership within a system so, or practice. So glad to hear that. Um, Angela, I'd love to come back to you and, and sleep medicine for a second and maybe even bring in a little bit of, of digital health, which I know you've, you've thought about as well, and the role of advancements in those spaces to reduce physician burnout. I think we all recognize that technology has had such an amazing effect on our lives, but as a society, we're still trying to find that balance of the benefits and the consequences. 
the pandemic really jump-started that with telehealth and all these new ways for us to be connecting with patients' families. But what we also see that for physicians, it's not just about that connection, but that feeling of being responsible all the time that can really perpetuate some of the burnout. Just again, to Nigel's point, I think organizations like the AMA are doing a really good job of helping us build awareness, but also understanding of what goes into it. I wanna recognize systems like my own at the Children's Hospital of Orange County, where they're actually using existing digital platforms to help understand this. So with our email system, things like Outlook and the Microsoft Calendar, they actually track how much meeting burden is, how many administrative tasks we have. And we get information about how much people are on email, how quickly they're responding or feel that they need to respond. It's really powerful data in your own email system to see how many people are doing tasks after 8 p.m. and sometimes after midnight. The other thing is that the electronic health record has had so many benefits for our patients, documentation, clear orders, standardized order sets. But what if we used it in a different way? What if we thought about the EHR as a tool to look at physician burnout? Our healthcare system is one that's actually trying to do that. Seeing how many clicks does it take you to get through a patient chart? How much time are people spending charting after hours or you know, efficiently? What is really interesting is that if we think about the existing digital platforms as not just tools to help the patients, but as a mirror to see what's going on in our own organization, it's really powerful. The other thing it does is it allows us to use existing measures to see if interventions make sense. I loved Christine's point that asking physicians to do more yoga is not the answer. But if a system is going to change, we have to have measurable ways to see that the intervention makes a difference. And so can we use existing technology to do that? Again, we've recognized how this is important for trainees, but I wonder what it would be like if hospitals said, if you're not on call, maybe you don't need access to the EHR. Maybe you shouldn't be expected to do extra things. Would it actually shift our expectation of what can actually be done in a workday if the workday wasn't 24 hours? So leveraging existing technology, I think, can be a powerful tool, and we don't always have to look for something new. Helping us understand the scope and breadth of this issue and how to make a difference can be really powerful. So glad to hear about leveraging all these data that we actually do have and these tools that we're being using that we're using. You have an example maybe of so once you found out that a certain subset of physicians are spending a lot of time at 11 o'clock at night, we even hear from our patients sometimes can't believe you're answering my message at 11 p.m. Um, an intervention that in response to those data, a health system can undertake. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So one of the things is when you engage your leadership and you change the expectation of response time. 
the Microsoft system will actually say, hey, do you need to send this email now? Why don't you wait until business hours? There's also this idea of just highlighting what's going on. So we verbally recognize and acknowledge you don't have to respond 24 hours a day. You don't need to, on Saturday night at 1 p.m., be doing all of this. And so these ideas of engaging leadership and then having gentle prompts, which don't feel too onerous, to say, hey, do we really need to do this now, can be really helpful for the system. Chris, I've heard you uh, cite some data in the past around specific costs to the healthcare system of burnout. And I know that when we talk to health systems, um, we often utilize these data if, if they need a bit of a wake-up call as to how big of a problem this is. And I, I've heard the number 4.6 billion just based on the turnover and reduced hours that, that occur due to burnout, not even included in many of the other costs. Can you say a bit about how the AMA is responding to this crisis, how it's maybe different than some other things that we've faced as an organization? Sure, sure, happy to do that. So first, I think we're raising awareness about how costly burnout is to various stakeholders. So it does cost us at tip of the iceberg as a health system, $4.6 billion a year. Individual health systems also bear a cost. If you're a system that has a thousand physicians and average rates of burnout, you are already investing over $13 million every single year, just replacing those physicians who leave your organization, not for a better job, not for a career advancement, but who leave just because of burnout. And so our message is invest a fraction of that upstream on the activities that will reduce burnout and you'll have a positive ROI. And many of the things, Angelie, that you were talking about, all that work outside of work or pajama time that's happening at night is driving burnout. We know that if you've got um, higher rates of work outside of work, you have much higher rates of, of burnout than if you are in the lower quintile of, of work outside of work. So we've been doing a lot. The AMA has invested many millions of dollars every year on removing obstacles from the physician in their care of patients and reducing burnout. So we do research. We sponsor eight to 10 research projects every year that are using EHR audit log data, all that data that's already being collected and looking at things like time on inbox and how does that relate to burnout and how can we reduce time on inbox with greater teamwork. We're looking, we help organizations measure uh, both the rates of burnout in their organization and the precursors of that burnout and the consequences. So we have what's called an organizational assessment, our organizational biopsy. And Nigel, your group was our um, initial group to do that in a pilot fashion. And uh, we now have national benchmarks and we do that at no cost to organizations. So they can have a better sense of what's happening and use local data to communicate among the leadership about the issue at hand. We have a recognition program where we recognize organizations that are really doing exceptionally well in terms of addressing health professional well-being. And this also serves as a roadmap. So organizations who are at the beginning of their journey and are saying, I know we've got a problem, but we really don't know where to start. We don't know what to do, have been using this recognition program and the criteria 
and using that as a strategic roadmap as they map out the next three to five years of their efforts to reduce burnout. We have an enormous wealth of resources in what we call our Steps Forward Academy. We have um, had over 1.8 million unique users of our Steps forward toolkits. We have webinars. We have podcasts. Thank you, Dr. Gergreff, for being a frequent podcaster with us yeah. on that. Um, one of the things that's part of our Steps Forward is a de-implementation checklist. So it's a guide that organizations can use to look through and see, are there opportunities for us to remove policies that at one point made sense, but are no longer necessary or relevant and we sent that checklist to the Joint Commission, who reviewed it, made a few comments, and we edited it accordingly. And so we now know that this is um, aligned with the Joint Commission standards, which means it's also aligned with CMS requirements. One organization, um, Kaiser of Southern California, had looked at that list and saw that one of the things we uh, recommend is to remove unnecessary password burdens. And so they looked it over and decided they no longer needed to require password revalidation at the time of putting in an order. And so they turned that off. That provided relief for 1.5 billion, with a B, orders every week in their system. And other systems have done that as well and talk about the relief that just um, rises up from within their organization by removing that really frequent pebble in the shoe. And then uh, just as another example, we have an inbox reduction checklist uh, that is will be published in the next uh, few months uh, that is available now um, uh, in, individually, but it goes through some of the things that other organizations have done to reduce the volume of inbox work, which is what is causing physicians to spend hours every day after hours. And really, physicians aren't leaving their jobs. They are leaving their inboxes when they choose to leave their clinical position. So I think we're really fortunate that the AMA's invested a lot of resources to help address these issues. And I'm optimistic because there's so much good that can be done. Chris, the term de-implementation checklist just brings a smile to my face every time <laughs> I hear it. And I think about some of the the wasteful things that we've all built into our systems that we can take back away, particularly as we keep adding new things. I've also really been uh, pleased with your group's work and the rest of AMA's work around as we take this from the individual level up to the system level. And we think both about all these great examples you've given about helping practices and healthcare systems to reduce friction and take some of those burdens away, but also as our advocacy team and the rest of the organization thinks about trying to take some of those burdens down at the big health system, insurer, government level, like prior off and all those other things that uh, have grown out of control that actually contribute to this. So keep up the good work. Nigel, you wrote a letter to 34,000 coworkers um, sharing some personal reflections on self-care and mental health. I'd, I'd love it if you could share with our audience today a little bit about that and about the reflection or reaction that, that you heard from your colleagues. Yeah, uh, happy to. Um, so I, uh, like many of us, uh, was really uh, struggling in the summer of 2020, the first year of the pandemic. Um, 
Summer is often a tough time for me. Uh, it represents the anniversary many years ago of my son Bennett, and then uh, his death the following year. Um, usually I'm able to uh, recognize the symptoms and compensate. Uh, I'm usually able to plan a, plan a vacation up to Canada uh, to spend time with family and friends, uh, you know, visit the grave. Um, Exercise is important. That summer I ruptured my quadricep tendon and had surgery, so I wasn't exercising. And things just seemed to be um, kind of getting worse. Um, I called it languishing, but uh, it's probably a euphemism. Uh, you know, I think I was anxious and depressed. Um, so eventually I reached out for help and certainly got on the right track quickly. Um, and I guess uh, an epiphany uh, of sorts for me was that Many of us, if not all of us, uh, have some version of that story, um, but are kind of timid um, to reach out for help, essentially because of the stigma ar around the conversation, particularly in healthcare. Um, so in September 2020, uh, I composed uh, an open letter. Um, I have a quarterly open letter, but my previous ones would be kind of sterile, sort of report outs on what we were doing. And this one, I told the story. I told that story um, that I just shared with you. And then I talked more broadly about the uh, what I thought was, uh, you know, the stigma that exists uh, around mental health and in healthcare. But this part was kind of talked about intuition and data. This was all intuition. Um, I. You know, I'd run it by a few executives and they were supportive, but uh, I was extremely nervous sending that out. <laughs> uh, but um, it was pretty uh, overwhelming. So most executive letters that go out or executive emails may get elicit two or four responses. Um, I had hundreds uh, of people reach out um, sharing their stories. Uh, some of it, some of them calling it a call for action to to seek help. So, you know, I I, I think I, I talked earlier about changing um, leadership, you know, communication norms, and I I, I think um, I think you know it's sort of a, a fairly important step within our organization. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I've seen many communications by other executives, not just at this organization. Uh, I'm not saying that my letter was the reason for that cause and effect, but I think um, executive emails have gotten a little more conversational, a little more personal, uh, rather than just sort of data report outs, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you for uh, being vulnerable and willing to share that. I just, as we have seen so many physicians due to stigma, not get the help that they need uh, when they're in crisis. I think we just can't say enough about the power of having a respected senior colleague share their own stories as, as we work to destigmatize that. So I really appreciate that. Chris, how, how do we get back to this work? At the end of the day, um, you know, we want to reduce burnout um, because it gets in the way of doing what brought us all to medicine in the first place, that love of actually providing care to our patients. Um, how do we shift the framework and, and get back to that? Right, right. Well, first of all, I, I just want to underline what Nigel just said, because I think leadership modeling um, 
getting help, avoiding the iron dock uh, stereotype um, is really important. And it's a way of being human and, and a way of having relationships. Uh, you were human and developed a relationship with the other people within your organization by sharing that that letter. And, and so how do we get back to doing the work that really matters? I think there are a couple key concepts. One of it, those is that we have evolved to a very transactional notion of what healthcare is. And yet I believe at its core, our work is relational. And when we build the infrastructures and the processes within our organization, and we support that with the policies and the physical space and the technology that supports relationships with our patients and supports relationships with each other, we will have better outcomes. And I think stepping back again, um, over the last several decades, when the EHR was implemented, I noticed that there was this great work transfer, that work that previously was done by receptionists, pharmacists, medical records, clerks, by transcriptionists, suddenly became the work responsibility of the physician. And because of that iron dock mentality, and because you know we always step up to the plate and take on what needs to be done, we kept taking on and kept taking on until it started to break us. And I think it's come to the breaking point when we have two hours of EHR and desk work for every one hour of direct FaceTime uh, with our patients. And I think what's happened is we recognize that we are spending our days doing the wrong work for our patients. We are spending our days doing transactional activities and we are not doing the healing work of deep thinking, the deep work of doctoring and of strengthening the relationships. So there's a framework that I came upon that I think has really been helpful in my own thinking, and I hope it's helpful for others. And it comes from the Harvard Business School and Clay Christensen, who had uh, been at the Harvard Business School. And it's the idea of solution shop versus production line work. That in most industries, the highest trained professional, their time is reserved for solution shop work, which is meant the solving of unstructured problems. And I'd modify that in healthcare to mean the solving of unstructured problems and the development of relationships. And production line work can also be very important. But that's more the standardized, predictable work of the practice. Some of that work that previously was done by the receptionist and the transcriptionist and the medical records clerk that got pushed to the physician. And I think we need to start looking at work distribution and saying, are we making the best use of the training, the investment that society has made in physicians by having our physicians work as transcriptionists? by having our physicians do every order entry, by having our physicians spend more time on data processing than knowledge work, than adding value to the knowledge. And so for me, that thought about looking at solution shop versus production line work, and have we thoughtfully distributed that work according to training and ability um, is really helpful and gets at one of the core problems, again, 
that our physicians are spending our, we know we're just spending our days doing the wrong work for our patients. We're not available to see them on the same day they need to be seen. We can't focus on the three things that they brought to us because we're so busy typing the note and going through the drop-down boxes to enter the orders and all of those things that, uh, and doing the prior auth, all of those things that take us away from the core meaningful work of healthcare. I think that's really going to resonate with our audience because it's, it aligns so closely with what I hear from physicians and their frustrations about, and I think the electronic health record has made it easier for a lot of those tasks to roll uphill to the physician um, and away from others in the practice, and it doesn't have to be that way. So uh, thank you for, for giving voice to that. We're nearly out of time, but I wanted to open it up a little bit or anybody have anything that they think is missing from this discussion or things we need to pay attention to in the next phase of this work and in, in the next several years um, that have not really made the priority list yet. Yeah, I'd just like to echo what Chris said, um, at least at Oshner, it seems like a, a bit like back to the future. Obviously, in the last two years, two and a half years, we spent a lot of in time doing important work around resilience um, and mental health. But, uh, you know, in the, the surveys that we're conducting now, you know, I'm hearing loud and clear, <laughs> get back to blocking and tackling um, practice efficiency, uh, advanced team-based care, automation, leadership development. So these were areas of focus pre-pandemic. I think we got a little distracted uh, for good reason during the pandemic, but I think we have to um, certainly reboot those efforts um, around those those areas. Well, seeing the burnout numbers soaring and the data of the last couple of years during the pandemic, knowing what our colleagues have been through as they took care of this country over these last three difficult years, piling, fighting disinformation and misinformation on top of, of all these other burdens that we've been talking about, I think it's not surprising. And I think we have a workforce that's somewhat tired, but wants to find ways um, to, to fall in love with their work again and to experience the joy of medicine. So I'm just so appreciative of the work that the three of you are doing. You're bringing data to the work, you're bringing inspiration to the work. And I want to extend my gratitude to each of our panelists for contributing to this really important session. On behalf of the American Medical Association, we look forward to continuing our discussions around the most important issues of healthcare. So thank you very much for joining us and have a great day. Reducing physician burnout is a key part of the AMA recovery plan for America's physicians. Learn more by visiting ama-assn.org slash let's rebuild. Thanks for listening.